Rethinking healthcare takes more than disruption. It takes more than thought leaders. It takes change makers and doers. That's who we'll be speaking to on the Healthcare Rethink podcast, giving you, our dedicated listeners, a rich body of insights to make your own change. This is the Healthcare Rethink podcast. Yes, this is the Healthcare Rethink podcast. I'm your host, Brian Urban. And today we are joined by a legend behind the podcast, Mike, Global Principal of Healthcare at SAS, co-founder of the Advancement League, Mr. Alex Mayersberger. Thank you for joining us today. Great to be here. This is going to be loads of fun because we've gotten to know each other before our little show here. And uh, you are a big voice in podcasting specific to technology, healthcare, but you talk to a lot of other really interesting folks across the whole ecosystem. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But with every episode, Alex, we like to get our audience familiar with our guests. So let's go back before you becoming a podcast host and you having global experience in healthcare and even grassroots experiences in a lot of different communities across the U.S., uh, who, who is Alex and where did you come from and how did you get into your work today? I, I define myself, I think, as a, a healthcare optimist. And so I've really tried to keep that optimism up as I look out and get to experience different parts of the healthcare ecosystem. And so I think we'll talk about it, but I blended a master of public health with a master of healthcare administration. And so I have those yeah. sort of two parts yeah. of, of my life. Um, and then went into hospital administration. So did an administrative fellowship at Geisinger Health System, which at that time, and I still believe it today, was held up as a pillar of American healthcare, of just a unique place in the world that had sort of all the components you would need to really deliver higher value, better quality, better experience care at a lower cost. Uh, they had a health plan. They bought a medical school. They had cancer research center. They had a physician group, and so they had all those components that you would need. So really got a great experience there, spent about five years both on the hospital side and then on the health plan strategy side. And so got to see both sides of Geisinger Health System and got to lead some really important consumer experience work as the Affordable Care Act was coming out. And so really that switch from we serve employer groups to we serve individuals was happening, which was a great focus on technology and different things. And that really gave me my first taste on the technology side. Uh, then I went from there to Blue Cross, North Carolina, came down to the great state of North Carolina uh, and have been here since and uh, then made my way to SAS. So really trying to hit a couple of the different parts of the healthcare ecosystem during grad school, too. We can talk about that was part of the early team for a now leading telehealth platform, DoxyMe. Uh, yes. And so on the telehealth side, too. So I have a little bit of that startup and uh, fun experience sprinkled in there as well. It's amazing because uh, Doxy too during pandemic, in particular, highly used platform for delivering telehealth care. We can definitely get into that. Love the public health background. We have a for sure a connection there, and your experience at Geisinger. How unique, especially when policy change was sweeping, and when technology was beginning to become more the forefront of how care was delivered, how care was coordinated. Really really cool. And I have seen your healthcare optimist shirt a lot on LinkedIn. So I got to get me one of those. But it's, uh, it's great to be able to hear your experience across the ecosystem and touching a lot of really unique corners. But it's, it's definitely 
safe to say you are a, a deep health techie right now uh, and you're an influencer as well, but you also have a day job at SaaS. So it's a software analytic company. It's global. You touch supply chain, you touch healthcare, you touch a lot of different uh, industries and different organizations within them. So let's let's talk a little bit about your efforts at SaaS right now, because you do so many things, but what's your day job consist of right now? What are you, what are you doing there? At SaaS, I lead our global product marketing for healthcare, which is internal sales enablement for our sales leaders and internal consulting and friends and partners. So building the communities around our global portfolio of products and externally leading the global product marketing efforts where we have a new product, SaaS Health, which takes advantage of the end-to-end analytics platform, our premier offering, SaaS Via, and attaches a common health data model. And so an ability to ingest different data sources and have a single place for reusable data uh, that you're able to then run more models faster and more efficiently, no code, low code, all the new latest and greatest technology in a health platform. And so we're really excited about that. I love that because it's now an official extension into health. It's it's really standing up not only your existing models, but putting more on top of that and seeing what other data can be ingested into helping achieve better insights, decision-making for a healthcare institution. So really, really, really cool. I, I actually never asked you about what you do at SAS. We've always talked about other other fun things in your experiences in, in healthcare and around healthcare. Uh, I want to touch on your public health background. So uh, your time at Utah, you doubled up with uh, public health and administration. So in, firm, in terms of academics, I think it's a, it's a bedrock that a lot of all healthcare uh, practitioners, uh, researchers, and even those on the product side with technology should have an understanding of because it's truly being able to see individual needs that are being impacted by outside clinical services uh, for, for, for me in a lot of ways that I use it. But the application of that public health knowledge, it, it, it had to have influenced your work in your early days with Geisinger and even maybe now at SAS. Can you tell us a little bit about the impact of that academic background and, and maybe what you've used it in today? Yeah, definitely uh, appreciate it because I think Public health is often a very underappreciated part of the healthcare ecosystem. And uh, most public health researchers or public health practitioners, as you would say, point out to drinking water as just the some of the things you may not think about or you may take for granted in daily life is someone in public health and someone with that public health background built it and promoted it and thought about it and made sure that policy was passed and things And so I really appreciate having some of that split personality, which I think came from some of that education is even during graduate school, I did the dual degree. And so I would have a class at 1 p.m. on the public health side of campus, and we would talk about global health initiatives and nonprofits and local state government and policy. And you'd go straight from there over to the business school at 2 p.m. for class and you'd hear healthcare finance and you'd go through those. And so it was always that the battle. <laughs> different between, side, yeah, it's definitely yeah. Two, two different sides. Uh, but I do think there's a need to blend those two sides. And you're starting to see it a little bit more in healthcare leadership. I think, unfortunately, some of the MHA programs, a master of healthcare administration, very often is referred to as a master of hospital administration. 
And so having that sort of hospital-centric view of at least the U.S. healthcare world, I think in some ways has hurt us as a society from an outcomes and cost and quality standpoint, because we think of healthcare being delivered in a care setting, which is at a hospital and with doctors and nurses uh, and the different parts of the care team, instead of thinking about healthcare happens to us at home and in our communities and where we are. And so I think we've we've changed a little bit of that perspective in that story recently in society. I think we're starting to talk about it more. Care models moving more into the home are starting to help. But I think for all of the folks who have studied and practiced and been part of public health, they've been saying, this is what we've done forever. And now it's just sort of highlighting that. And so having a little bit of uh, both sides of the brain and both sides of the, the viewpoints has really helped and really fortunate to be at SAS where we have a global healthcare team. We have a United States focused team. We also have a government focused team, which has healthcare leaders and epidemiologists. And so really has come full circle that I've, I get to be on a team that has all of those parts and components and people. It's cool because I would define you as really a healthcare athlete, uh, a well-rounded individual that has touched a lot of things experience-wise, but you have the you have the chops in terms of academic background. So it's, it's unique. I think for me, I was an oddball going into public health graduate school as my background was business. And a lot of public health researchers do not see that side of, of healthcare. They see research, they see policy, they see evidence that they want to take forward and have discussions about. But I, th I think one of the big missing connections is having that blended and having it be a, a really firm part of someone's education and then their work in their career. And we are seeing it more. I think there's a lot of MBA and PH programs, but there's there still needs to be more work around that. But I, I love you going into that because it shows the value. And I hope our listeners can understand the value of that connection and being a, a continued lifelong learner. Uh, very important as well. So, Alex, let's get into the podcasting side of, of your life. So it seems that it's moved a little bit more into the center of your career in terms of what you do with product marketing, development, relationships. Uh, can you can you tell me what it's meant to you personally to be leading a podcast and maybe what it's meant to, to SAS as, as well? I'm interested on your, your thoughts there, your reflection. Yeah, really appreciate it. I told uh, my boss the other day that podcasting has been such a joy. And so it's been such a fun, I think, and it's good to articulate the parts of your either day job or the parts of your personality that you enjoy and like. I think being able to express that and say, hey, this is something that I feel I'm learning from, or I feel I'm good at, or I feel like it brings me joy and excitement. And podcasting has certainly been that for me. And I don't think I knew that going into it. It kind of felt like maybe this will be part of your job. You get to interview some interesting people, talk to things. But I think it all comes back to people, both for me personally and for SAS, is uh, on the people side, it's incredible. You see some of, and we've been really fortunate to attract just incredible guests and so we've had uh, government leaders and high profile physicians that you see on TV, on the news, or you see out there on, in social media uh, and doing global interviews or different things. And it's interesting because you kind of imagine just the default setting of human nature is you see someone in a high profile position and you may just think they don't have problems or they don't have like they may have day job challenges, but you just you kind of almost have that hidden human aspect to a lot of the people that you see on a camera. 
Uh, and so it's been a real fortunate, the, the biggest thing that I've taken away is just that people are people. And so some of the most comfortable people that I would imagine that I see on TV giving an interview, they express real genuine almost fear of that red recording light, (laughs) or they go into the first question and they're like, shoot, I wish I'd have that over. Uh, And even me, I think there's, there's already a question here today that I'd probably answer a little bit differently if I had more time or a a second take. And so no matter how comfortable you think someone is, uh, they may just experience the camera in that interview a little bit different, or you're, you're put on the spot. And then just the the real human aspect to it. uh, Again, that feeling of I see that person, they're in a high profile position, maybe you know their salary, whatever it is, you're like, they, they've got it all made. To get into the real questions, whether it's in the prep or whether it comes out on the actual call or through the friendship connected, um, meeting the person and going through some of the, the, their stories, guests who are incredibly nervous, guests who are sick while you're doing the, the program, guests who are figuring out childcare or have a kid walk in on the camera. I think we've seen those things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just... It's a blessing to get to know people on that human level and to get to ask real questions. And so I think on the personal side, it's been just a, a joy to get to know and experience guests and get to feel like you're a part of their life and a part of their story for a short time and get to ask some questions that you we take it from almost a personal curiosity standpoint of, hey, I'd really love to know this seems like a crazy time in the world and you were right there in the thick of it as a leader and with a global budget trying to make real tough decisions, what was that like? And how was your home life? And what were you doing? And so getting to, to ask those questions and get to feel comfortable with people that they'll answer them in a way that they uh, are honest and, and true about is has been really exciting. And then on the SaaS side, I've been really fortunate as a, a 50-year-old company to always build with customers. And so to have customers on the podcast uh, and be able to the same thing, that curiosity side to say, hey, you're experiencing real challenges and you're a, com- you have competitors in this space and how are you navigating this new AI world and what does that actually mean to your organization? So to get to hear their answers and have that be that feedback loop for us to say, hey, this is a real challenge that someone's talking about. What are we doing about it? Are we building fast enough? Are we building the correct products? Are we, how do we position ourselves in the market has been a, a great benefit as well. And I hope you know I'm taking this literally as a coaching session from one podcaster to another. So you're giving me great playbook to work off of for for kind of building the next iteration of this thing. It, I just find it so interesting that you know we're in a golden age of podcasting. Eventually, there's going to be some sort of expiration date to it or decline with it. But right now, it's a great medium for storytelling and making sure that it's not scripted or so polished that it comes off unauthentic. I think a lot of your conversations come fluid and they're very natural dialogue. And it's an opportunity for people to be able to talk about their lives and some of the deeper curiosity based questions that you were sharing earlier. That's, that's when it like people care about listening and wanting to contribute and wanting to engage. And I'm, I'm curious, top three, let's say most interesting things you've heard on a podcast or, or, or learned during an interview, anything come to mind? On the spot, it's uh, tough to go down the list. I think so many. I think uh, one is also, I'll I'll give you three. So one is the team behind the podcast. Uh, So I would say no matter probably how big or how small a podcast is, there's usually someone that's helping edit the video or there's someone helping upload it to YouTube or there's someone within that team. 
And so I'd say one of the things that I've learned is just how incredible the team can be that surrounds you. And so really fortunate at SAS to have an incredible production crew. Um, and so you joked, uh, or you said, I have a big voice. I think it's really just a big microphone. So we'll put it up of just uh, incredible uh, amenities and, and people and the, the production crew of high value. So the best thing, I think, one of the best things has been just that behind the scenes work with people. Um, and whether that's your own production crew. And so when we make mistakes, it's fun. You get to, we get the blooper reel internally. Maybe we'll produce it externally one year. Um, but then behind the scenes also with guests, I think the prep work, uh, there's usually a session of prep to go over, hey, what are questions that might be off limits? Or what do you want us to ask? Or is there something you really want to get out there? And that's usually just such an incredible honor and opportunity to get to know people on a level of here's what they care about. Just what you said, I think that that part of asking someone, hey, what do you want to talk about? And to get them to say, hey, I, I really care about these things. And so there's a couple of things that, that stand out. There's a few guests that I think have a little bit of, I'm a, I'm a very informal person, I think, just by human nature. I, uh, maybe it's some, I, I moved around quite a bit as a kid and uh, so I had to get introduced to new elementary schools or middle schools or high schools. And so some of that personality I think of asking people questions or saying, hey, I'm the new person here. Where do I go for this? I think probably has extended into some of the way that I interact with people in the, the real world. Uh, and so on the podcast side, I think some of those takeaways, and I won't out the specific guests, but some of, of our guests have had very high esteemed titles or things, and they tell like pretty funny stories or they get to laugh at different points. And I don't think even working with or working within some of their organizations, uh, some of the people that report to them or some of the people that interact with them uh, see them like that. And so that's been one of the really fun parts of the podcast as well, is just to see that human element really shine through of, oh, these are, these, even though they're the head of AI and analytics for this major global multinational corporation, they're struggling feeding their kids corn dogs in the morning uh, or they're <laughs> struggling doing something else. Uh, and so that's been a lot of fun is just to get to see that we're all we're all trying to make it through our careers and our lives and, and blending a lot of different pursuits and passions and, and things. And so I'd say those are the, the big takeaways from the podcast is there's a lot of individual moments of just this is so cool to talk to a, a real person. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the coolest part uh, as as well is, is I think podcasts, sometimes a, a lot of people can bring a very formal approach, but a lot more, especially in healthcare, have dropped it down to a more personal level. And that's where you see the real human and, and realize there are different connection points aside from titles and, uh, and and what you oversee and things like that. So that's that's uh, that's what it's all about. Um, I love, love to hear that, Alex. So we, we drifted away from SaaS. I want to get back there for just a little bit here. So your org, again, is spread across a lot of industries. Now with the launch of SaaS Health, uh, it's a big statement. So what, what I guess, what is SaaS's biggest impact to healthcare across the ecosystem, U.S. or globally today? And, and maybe what do you think will it be? The biggest contribution that SaaS has is at the individual level. And again, I said it, it may sound weird coming from a software company, but to think through the industries and the impact that SaaS has had over the years and that we can continue to have and will continue to have on the life sciences side, 
all validated drugs in the United States go through a regulatory process of which we're a partner uh, and we've impacted for a long time. And so thinking about that, like drug discovery from molecule to end user or getting it in the hands of a patient, uh, thinking about drugs that have been discovered faster or better or cheaper, uh, more effective because of software that allows you to get those analytical insights. Uh, there's an end user who benefits from that, who takes that pill and is cured in some cases, or takes that pill and has a better prognosis and a better outcome because of it. And there's a back end of a team and software that helps influence that decision. And so I think about those individual lives. And then on the, the hospital side or even the health plan side, there's so many decisions now that are influenced by insights. It could be a strategic decision of where do we place our next hospital? And that may be informed by an analytical process of demographics and different places and all the things that go into that, all the inputs. And so being able to be there for a person who in the middle of the night needs you is, again, the result of a long history and team, a big teamwork effort to be able to say, here's the insight. Or if you're in a hospital, there's sepsis prediction models there's different things that alert physicians or alert the clinical care team to say, hey, based on these markers and based on these history and based on other patients, this is what we're this is what the technology is surfacing from an information standpoint. And here's the intervention that should be made or potentially can be made. And so I think about just the incredible stories of individual impact. And I think now in the, the age of AI and advanced analytics and just the domination of the headlines and new technologies coming out and new sort of experimentation across the industry. I think SaaS has a great role in the future of getting those insights to clinical care teams or to potentially individual patients, to the people on the back end, uh, much faster and better and surfacing it in a way that says, here's sort of what you need to know, when you need to know it and where you need to know it to be able to make the best decision. So that's incredibly exciting. I love the look forward that you just mentioned too. It's the timeliness in terms of the data within a supply chain for decision-making. You know, I, I, I love that you gave that example of how your software is a part of, from molecule in terms of pharmaceutical manufacturing, going probably through the, uh, the, the trial phases, uh, through FDA approval, and then into a pharmacist's hands, through a prescription to a patient. That is a very real story behind what's what SaaS's impact is in terms of the healthcare ecosystem. So I love that and plenty more to come with SaaS Health coming out. So that's really exciting to hear. I wanted to stay global now for a, a moment here. And when I look just in terms of headlines, uh, some research, other publications out there in journals, it seems like a lot of tech in uh, other other countries outside the U.S. is is always having a, a spin or application to societal good, not just for business, not just for profit. Uh, you know, is that true? Are you seeing that in terms of how SaaS is impacting healthcare outside the U.S.? Or maybe that's just the stuff that I'm gravitating toward seeing uh, in, in terms of publications. Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there from a, a global perspective, and I think. I actually wrote a, a post on LinkedIn a little bit ago of just my thought process around the global nature of headlines, especially in healthcare. And it's really interesting to me in healthcare in the United States, when we talk about it, it's almost always on, and a lot of it goes back to the technology side. 
we talk about the most advanced scanning machines or the most advanced sort of new technology that's out there to diagnose or to treat. And we very much talk about health and healthcare in a healthcare sense. And so when we talk about overall health of society, we talk about the amount of physicians we have or the amount of hospitals we have, where they're located, what type of investments we make into them. When you talk about health on a global level, at a country level, oftentimes it's more talked about the type of food they eat or the naps that they take. or the. And so when you just compare the United States to another country, we get sort of caught up in these acronyms and in policies and in regulations and in different parts of the actual healthcare ecosystem. And I think in a lot of places, you when you talk about health and healthcare, a lot of times health comes first and it's how much are people sleeping and where do they live and do they have access to family support and caregiving for their yeah. kids and things. And so that lifestyle, so our, our health and health care debate, I think, in the United States from a headline perspective needs to change quite a bit. Um, but I also think what you said is, is true in large parts of, and we see it from a SaaS perspective, on the United States side, maybe it is a little bit more commercial from a, an aspect, although we do work with the government and we're starting to see a little bit more uh, government influence, obviously, on the payer side with Medicare and Medicaid starting to take up much larger percentage of budgets and of overall payer. We're probably as close to a single payer as you can be without being a single payer now in the United States, if you look at overall budget size. Um, where you're seeing on the, the global side, we work a lot more with hospitals and health systems and some of the government agencies, federal public health agencies. And so there's not as much private insurance uh, and so that might be a little bit unique dynamic, but I would say just the thoughtfulness of hospitals being able to interact, share data, different things happens somewhat more in other countries globally because you have that system that, uh, and not for better or for worse also, sometimes we get uh, immediately you have that gut reaction of, oh, it can't be better uh, than the U.S. or you have a, it's got to be way better. So there, there's usually two immediate reactions uh, of which side you fall on. But I do think that there's a lot of opportunity to learn from the rest of the world. And I don't think that we've done that enough in the U.S. healthcare culture and system to be able to say, what are things that we can take both from a health and healthcare aspect uh, that we're seeing from other companies and other countries around the world. And that's been a real uh, benefit at SAS as well is to have that truly global nature and integrated teams is, and to have that commercial side, that government side, and that global side to be able to quickly bring those teams together internally and say, hey, what's happening at the NHS in the UK or what's happening at this cancer center in Italy? Are there interesting things going on in Singapore? And how does that relate to some of the new policy that's coming out in the U.S.? Can we learn from it? Can we adapt from it? Are there things that we should be advocating for or thinking of or building products for? And so that's been real fun to see of just how that global community can come together to say there's some some really good things that are happening here. They say, what's the quote? The, um, the good artists copy and the best artists steal. I think we absolutely <laughs> should be stealing more from the international health and healthcare community of, hey, this works there and it, it definitely should work here. I love that perspective of the community and how insights can feed back and forth to the commercial, the global government side. 
it just makes sense that it makes sense that you have set yourselves up for success in terms of your growth and your reach across the globe, uh, industry to industry, but really within healthcare, that is so really fascinating to hear. You made that sound very simple. Obviously, it's very complex, but you you made that sound very simple in terms of uh, the, the the view that we need to have in terms of changing our view on healthcare in the U.S. I love that you talked about that. I saw your post, and yeah, it is headline heavy on the the infrastructure of healthcare in the U.S. and how we define that and how it's seen globally entirely different. And maybe that's why you see a, a huge difference in spend, life expectancy, quality of life studies that are longitudinal in, in nature, a lot of great studies around the world that look at happiness as an index. So it's um, it's really cool that you you shared that. I wasn't expecting that. But, uh, you know, Alex, we've covered so many different things. I, I want to get back to the podcast side just briefly here to look into the future. Uh, again, podcast is is a great medium. It's a great way to highlight, elevate stories, messaging, uh, develop relationships, a lot of different things aside from just learning. How do you see this evolving over the next two, three, four years? Do you see podcasting changing, going away, new iterations? What, what do you see in the next few years with podcasting and healthcare? It's so scary making predictions. I remember the uh, early stages of the COVID pandemic that there were some big predictions of crowds will never come back and there's never going to be a, a large gathering again indoors and uh, seeing those and sort of screenshotting them, saving them, being like, that can't be true. <laughs> I think I felt that that can't be true. So whatever I say has the, the caveat that uh, I hope there's no screenshots of Alex said that... Uh, podcasting is going to die in the next few years or whatever it is. But I do think there there are a few things that just trend-wise I can see from a, a consumer perspective. One is just attention spans. I think every iteration of technology, at least from a, a social perspective or from a listening perspective, it seems like our attention spans get shorter and shorter. And so the uh, the I, I joke that we're in a, a headline era versus the like the depth of the article era. And so a lot of people like we see the headlines and we know those things, but we don't really read the underlying article already. And so I imagine that sort of progressing these next few years. And so maybe shorter form clips and different things will, will be even more popular than they are today. I can also see podcasting. I think already the, the song is years old now that said, uh, what was it? Video killed the radio star. Oh yeah, that was a that was a first uh, yeah music video I think on MTV. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, yeah, so, so it's been a little bit, but video killed the musical music star was written back then, and I think is probably more true now. I think probably pure audio form podcasting will continue to turn more and more into video platform, uh, just because of the nature of a lot of the the social media apps or different things that we have, being able to see someone or feel like you connect in a little bit better way. And so I would say definitely a shorter clip might happen, or at least the, the distribution of it. They'll probably get cut up into small clips and you'll have more maybe dedicated communities to specific topics or things. And so you might be able to, to foster that community by those short clips that then someone gets into the long form. But just diving into the long form first is probably asking a lot from an attention standpoint of, of someone that's not already pre-built into that community or, or knows you personally or things. And so I definitely do see, 
I think it's really interesting too, from a, a podcast perspective or from a future prediction perspective. Uh, if the last few years have taught us anything, it's that we probably don't know anything. Uh, and so it's going to be really exciting to see what happens from a technology standpoint these next few years. Maybe there's a, a new platform that makes it easier to connect in a group or in a, I think we saw the rise of a couple of those during, <clears throat> during pandemic time uh, of audio only groups or different things. And then they quickly subsided. And so I'm sure there'll be a, another trend, but the, the trend of connecting with humans, whether it's in video form or voice form or in-person form is never going to go away. And so that's the, the biggest prediction is just, it's going to be more and more important to hear directly from sources that you care about and trust and are interested in and people that you can then go meet in real life. And so that's, I think, the, the biggest prediction that I have is just the doubling down, tripling down, whatever you want to call it, down on uh, human nature is to be together is is really important. That's a great look into the future. Not Not, you know, a very specific view. There's some blurriness there, but Overall, the trend is going to continue. It's going to be continued uh, value in terms of producing more content and having it be video. I agree. I think that's the best way you can be able to interact and engage and feel a sense of connection. So we'll see what happens. I know I'll be following your podcast, and uh, this has been an honor to have your voice here on our little show, Alex. So uh, thank you very much for coming on and, and sharing your experiences and your wisdom. I love what you're doing at SAS. Thank you, Alex. Oh, this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much, Brian. And for more exciting insights and excerpts, please visit us at finthrive.com. <laughs>